0: Please go to Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, and my purpose is quite simply that, or quite simply by the end of the Ten Commandments, it will be as clear as crystal that we cannot keep the law, we cannot keep the commandments in any way, shape or form, we can't even keep the commandments in the spirits or in the letter, I want to say that because a lot of people are of the belief that they're able to keep the law. Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, look at verse 10 please, For as many as of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evidence, for the just shall live by faith. So no matter how hard you try to keep the Ten Commandments, you will always fail. And don't get me wrong, the commandments are good. They keep you on the straight and narrow, as they say, but you can't keep them. You can't keep them to perfection. This was the clash between Christ and the Pharisees. The Pharisees thought that, first of all, they were just as good as Jesus, and at times even better than Jesus. And time after time, he would have to challenge them, correct them, and chastise them. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You're cursed if you don't keep the law. And yet, if you try to keep the law, look at verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evidence for the just shall live by faith. So quite simply, the law is against you. It's against you. This book is against you. God doesn't want people to think they can work their way to heaven in any way, shape or form. And that's why it's set up in such a way. So to stop people from boasting. Go back to the book of Exodus, please. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And look at verse 7 again. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. So there's no way around it. If you are a saved person, you shouldn't blaspheme the name of the Lord. I want to give you three expressions that we hear a lot uh, in the UK. and Forgive me if these are offensive to you, but I want to put these down. At the end of the service last week, we all had a conversation about blasphemy. And it was made clear that one of our dear Uh, saved people that we work very closely with wasn't aware that the term bloody hell is a description a term an expression that people shouldn't use now in britain australia and new zealand the term bloody hell i'm afraid to say is used an awful lot and this party didn't know that it was wrong to say such a thing but let me say this to you the term bloody hell if you did not know simply means that you are cursing the blood of christ you are swearing by the blood of christ that's what vanity means in essence. Don't take the, Lord, the name of the Lord thy God in vain in a half-hearted sense, in a vain sense. Don't say something if you don't mean it. Somebody asked me this, well, can we say Bloody Mary, for example? Is that blasphemy? No, it's not. Because in the, t- in, the, in the context of Bloody Mary, that term is simply denoting how horrendous she was, how notorious she was. Like World War I, World War II, they call that a bloody conflict. Again, that's not the same as bloody hell. The term bloody hell means that you are swearing by the blood of Christ. His blood means nothing to you. And when I hear Christians use such a term, I know that they don't know what it means. Of course, you may find some who do it intentionally, but for the most part, they don't. Good heavens. That's a term you hear a lot of people use. Good heavens. A lot of the old movies will use that term, good heavens. Again, it's an acronym for blaspheming, quite simply. You are told not to swear by heaven, nor by the earth, for it is the throne of the Father, the throne of God. How about good Lord? A lot of people use the term good Lord. You can't use it. These are holy titles. For example, heavens is where the Lord is. Lord is obviously denoting who he is. And bloody is the blood of Christ. You can't use these expressions. Find something else. Some of you people are very well educated. You've been to some good schools and colleges. Find something else. Broaden your vocabulary. Don't limit yourself to such crude and limited terms. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now in the context, this is aimed at Israel, because he's their Lord and he's their God. Outside of Israel, around this time, the whole world is in darkness. They're worshipping many gods, worshipping themselves, worshipping stones and statues and trees and what have you. For the New Testaments, our Lord, our God, the Lord God is, of course, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the express image of the invisible God. We don't swear by him. We never swear by him. We don't say, oh my gosh, Or Gosh darn, we're very careful what we say because we know that the angels are watching us. Paul told you that from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you are saved and if you are part of a small group of Bible believers, there's an angel that is attached to your group, your fellowship, and they watch you very carefully. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, blameless, that taketh his name in vain. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. So, my friends, if you are saved, be careful what you use or what you say. Be careful as to what expressions you use. This time last year, I was speaking to a saved party. Hadn't been saved very long. And in about five minutes of speaking to the saved party, a swear word came out of their mouth. And there was no sign of anything wrong with this person using such an expression. Didn't raise an eyelid. And I thought you'd been saved six, seven, maybe eight months. And you're already swearing. You've got to quit it. Because it hurts your testimony. If an unsaved person sees you, using such terminology, saying such things, they will say to themselves, well, there's no need for me to be saved. He or she is just as bad as I am. And if a saved person hears you saying such things, it causes them to be offended. Ephesians five. 5 for this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man. Going back to a few Sundays ago, looking at the sin of idolatry. And covetousness, being lusting, is connected with idolatry who is an idolater, you see coveting, idolatry, you can't get around it, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. and let me say this very quickly, standing and state, not the same thing. Your standing, as far as the Lord is concerned, is sinner's perfection, if you're saved of course. When the Lord looks at you, he sees Jesus. But your state, your state, your state is not necessarily going to match your standing. Last night I caught a video online of an American pastor i don't know him very well he's a controversial pastor i don't want to name the guy and he put a video up apologizing he's fallen from grace spectacularly and in essence he was using church money to pay for prostitutes marijuana gambling and who knows what else he's had to resign the pastorates so and i was reading some of the comments to this eight minute video pretty much 50 50 some were saying you're a nasty piece of work never saved to begin with You know, etc., etc. Others will say, No, we think you are a good man, but you fell from grace. We're going to cut you some slack. That's his state. If that man is saved, and I don't know him personally, but if he is saved, if he is saved, that's his state. His state at the moment is horrendous. As far as the world is concerned, he's just like them. But his standing, his standing as far as the Lord is concerned, hasn't changed. Basically, that is what everlasting life and eternal security is all about. Eternal security is for the failures in the body of Christ. is not for the good people, if you will, those that get saved, live a good life, and stay living a good life. They're already saved. Eternal security is for those that fall, like David, like Solomon, like Gideon. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, of course, in the context, this is a dual application. If a Christian starts to backslide, and continues to backslide, and doesn't reverse their backsliding, they will almost certainly risk losing their millennial inheritance. Of course, this is also aimed at unsaved people. Just for the record, if you are a saved man or a saved woman, like the pastor who had to resign a few days ago for sleeping with lots of prostitutes, so on and so forth, God doesn't see him as a whoremonger, incidentally. He doesn't see him as an adulterer, or a fornicator, or a drug addict, or gambler. He sees him as a backslidden son, because he's still a son of God. Or, if it was a woman, she's still a daughter of God. A lot of people don't understand that. They think that when a Christian starts to backslide and has to resign or throw in the towel and quit, that number one, they've probably lost their salvation. And number two, God sees them as a reprobate or in the context here, a whoremonger, an unclean person or an idolater. But that's not how he sees you. You're still saved. You're saved by the precious blood of the lamb. But your state is really what is in context here from 5-5 and it's what people will see. And... Observe you to be guilty of. Go to First Timothy, please. First Timothy, but for Today we are still looking at blasphemy, not just what you say, but sometimes what you do. And if you are saved, you know that people watch you very carefully. I've been a Christian 17 years, and I've had people watching me very carefully for 17 years. It could be at home, it could be at work, it could be here, it could be there. People do watch you. They watch you very carefully. They want you to fail. That's what they really want. They want you to fail. It's like every New Year, people say this: "Well, I'm going to lose weight this year." I'm going to go on a crash diet, that's what people say, it's New Year, and their work colleagues are watching very carefully, hoping that you fall flat on your face, and let's say you are a woman working in a typical office, and you're maybe three or four, five or six stone overweight, or maybe 100 pounds overweight, shall we say, or 50 pounds, or 75 uh, ounces, different countries have different ways of, weight, uh, of measuring their weight, let's say you're overweight, and you know that you're overweight and you're working in a typical office. The women in your office don't want you to succeed because some of them are overweight. Well, let's say you are a guy working in a factory and you can't stop smoking. Some of your colleagues don't want you to be successful, do they? Because they can't stop smoking. They're watching you. They're hoping that you're going to you fail. To tempt you. To tempt you as well. Here, yeah, have some chocolates. Have a cigarette. Here's some nice cigars from Cuba. Yeah. Same sort of thing when it comes to Christians. They hate self-righteous Christians and so does the Lord, going back to the pharisees offering themselves as being just as good as jesus and just as better if not better than jesus and of course time after time he would clip their wings for such stupid statements but the world is just the same they want christians to fail and i'm sure a lot of people watched that pastor's groveling apology last night and said good he's just like us well yes he is just like you we're all just like you we're all children of adam but the difference between us and you is that we are now sons of god children of god we've got two natures but of course the unsaved person who watched that particular video will say that's just as well, that's good for me. I can stay an unsaved devil. I can do what he was doing and is doing. I don't need to repent. That's a dangerous thought to have. Because of course this guy is trying to get his life back on track, at least we hope so. And get back into fellowship with the Lord, at least we hope so. Mm-hmm. But of course they watch that and they 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 love it. They love it. And of course the devil is rubbing his hands with glee. First Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 12 please. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor, an injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul calls himself a blasphemer. He got people to blaspheme the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He dragged people out of their homes. He was present when they murdered Stephen. But I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, For that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And yet he chose him in spite of himself, not because of himself, who was before a blasphemer. Old Testament, Leviticus 24, 16, if you were found guilty of blasphemy, you put to death. For today you find someone who blasphemes the Lord, put him out of your fellowship. When I was a young man, I remember a few times using foul language. And my mother said to me, watch uh, watch your mouth or wash it out with soap. A lot of parents don't say that anymore. A lot of parents don't pull their kids up anymore. A lot of parents don't challenge their kids anymore. Another kids are running the shop. Before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So the Lord overlooked Paul's behaviour. Got him saved of course by the blood of Christ. And although he was a blasphemer. Was chosen for great things in spite of himself. Not because of himself. Jump down to verse 18. This charge I commit unto thee. Son Timothy according to the prophecies which went before on thee that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. That they may learn not to blaspheme. There's hope for them. And of course, this is demon or devil oppression, not demon or devil possession. And therefore, if you are a Christian, and you're really having a hard time at the moment, maybe the Lord has handed you over to the devil to punish you, to bring you back into fellowship with him. I'm always concerned when I see people online rubbing their hands with glee, loving it that this part in America has just fallen. Be careful, brothers. That could be you one day. I don't think when David was five or six, seven or eight, nine or ten, he'd ever thought or would ever think he'd be guilty of the murder of an innocent man and his platoon of soldiers. It wasn't just Bathsheba's husband that he had put to death. So too did he have his men put to death. Maybe 30 or 40 men. I don't know how many people were killed on that one occasion. I mean David and Bathsheba were two adults. Should have known better. But you bring an innocent man into the picture. Her husband. And he pays with his life along with his men. And as a result the Lord kills their firstborn child. Or Solomon. Or even Gideon. In fact I was reading Judges this morning. Gideon was a good man if you will. The Lord chose him to do great things. He was a deliverer. A saviour for Israel. And yet he had many children. Many wives. Many concubines had a statue put up, an ephod, some kind of a garment, and all the children of Israel bowing down to it, worshipping it. Standing in state, you see. Standing in state. But a lot of Christians don't understand that. But from 18, 19, and 20, the reason why I want to show you this this morning is because, first of all, Christians can and do blaspheme. And here you've got a couple from verse 20, shouldn't do, but they do. And the devil, by the permissive word of the Lord, is able to work them over. He's able to put the whip to them. He's able to afflict them with sickness, like Paul, although he wasn't a blasphemer. Or Job, whether he wasn't a blasphemer. you got two innocent, righteous guys. The devil was able to work them both over due to the permissive will of the Lord. Jump over to chapter 6. Look at verse 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honour, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Some years ago, I remember speaking to a guy in a town not far from here. He was a five-point Calvinist. And he was a prickly sort of a guy. Never got on very well with him. And... What was somewhat strange about him was he was very friendly with a Mormon couple. And the lady was a former Catholic who, amazingly, after 50 years in the Mormon church, went back to the church of Rome before she died. They took her back, amazingly. But her husband was a bishop in the Mormon church, the Mormon religion. And I used to think to myself this, what does a Calvinist have in common with a Mormon couple? I can never work it out. On top of that, this couple, this threesome, used to have meals together. Used to go into the local pub, have a pub lunch. From the outside, people that saw that would be of the opinion that the Calvinist, and of course he was known in the town, wasn't any different to them. And of course he wasn't any different to them. I'm no different to an unsaved man. You're no different to an unsaved party. The only difference that we have is that Christ has saved us for his namesake. He's given us everlasting life for his namesake. We have a seed inside of us which cannot sin. That's the new nature. But you're told time after time in the Pauline epistles to put the old man to death. That's what Job 31 is all about. Cover your eyes. Be careful what you look at. And we'll deal with that when we get to the sin of adultery. But from those that watch this guy in and out of the pub with this Mormon couple, that's blasphemy. He's hurting his testimony. Look at it again. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honour. Now this is aimed at servants. Slaves, if you will, for the first century. That the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. In other words, if you are a slave... Or a servant, be very careful what you say and how you say what you say. Be careful how you offer yourself. Be careful what you do because people are watching you. Going back to a typical woman in a typical office or a typical man in a typical factory, people are watching you. They want you to fail because they are sinners. They are of a different spirit to you. And if you are a Christian in an office or a factory or here or there, people are watching you. It's very difficult. And you have to be careful what you say, how you come across, how you even dress. And here, Paul is telling servants to be careful how they are in the presence of their masters, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Very difficult. And for today, it's the same sort of a thing. You're a Christian, you work in a particular place, a secular place. You have to be careful. Very careful what you say and how you come across. Because like I say, the world want you to fail. They want to jump all over you. Go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. So be careful what you say, be careful how you come across, be careful what company you keep. A lot of people want to know why you hang around with certain people, a lot of people are curious about Christians, Christianity is a curious religion, it's the most scrutinised religion on the face of the earth, if you're a Catholic, no big deal, if you're a Muslim or a Jew, no big deal, but if you're a Christian, like a bible believing Christian, they're very interested in you. Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, look at verse 31. Wherefore I say unto you, O man of sin, and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Around ten years ago there was a movement in America set up by a group of wayward children to go into churches with cameras. And they wanted to film themselves blaspheming the Holy Ghost course they don't know what they're talking about these are any kids and these church services were taking place all over america like i say, around around 10 years ago and got kids holding up the cameras saying i blaspheme the holy ghost laughing their heads off of course that's not what it means to blaspheme the holy ghost and thankfully those kids didn't damn themselves wherefore i say unto you jesus speaking all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men that's a wonderful statement the mormons don't believe that they believe that there are certain sins that a mormon may commit. And the blood of Christ can't save them. They have to do their own additional works, their own private atonement to cover their sins. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, that's the key, shall not be forgiven unto man. Look at verse 32. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Mark chapter 3 tells you what the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost is. And in essence, it is to say that Jesus Christ was demon-possessed. It was to say that everything that he did was as a result or through the assistance of the devil, not the Holy Ghost. Go to Mark chapter 7. You can't commit the unpardonable sin today, I'm happy to say. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Look at verse uh, 20. And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men... Proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness. There's our word again covetousness. Going back to the first and second commandments. Wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within your heart, you see, the old man, you see, and defile the man. We sin because, first of all, our hearts are still corrupted going back to what jeremiah uh, and also the book of hebrews tells us yes we get a new heart praise the lord for that but this struggle this clash concerning the old man and the new man is going to continue right up until you leave this earth there's just no way around it and yes it is possible allow me to say this it is possible to live holy lives to get victory over sin absolutely paul told you he could do all things through christ who strengthened him but at the same time the world the flesh and the devil are never far away are they But verse 23 tells you how all these evil things come from within, not without. And as a result, defile the man. So blasphemy, covetousness, is found in both testaments. It's simply trans-testimonial. It's condemned in the old, it's condemned in the new. Go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. So like I say, the Pharisees thought they were better than Jesus. They thought that they were on par with Jesus. They wouldn't repent. Self-righteousness. Another awful sin that a lot of people are guilty of self-righteousness a lot of street preachers are very self-righteous they're like little pharisees aren't they john chapter 10 john chapter 10 look at verse 33 if you will the jews answered him saying for good work we stone thee not but for blasphemy and because that thou being a man makest thyself god jesus answered them is it not written in your law i said ye are gods if he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God. That's why they put him on the cross. To claim to be the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, was to suggest he was equal with God, with the Father. Everyone from Adam to the last man are created. Only the Lord Jesus Christ is a course begotten. Go to Colossians chapter 3 please. I was sent an article this morning from the... Times of Jerusalem, an Israeli newspaper, of a museum, which has a statue of Ronald McDonald, and this statue of Ronald McDonald has been uh, put on a cross, and a lot of Arab Christians in Haifa, I think it is, are not happy with this. There's been a lot of protests outside this secular museum, and. Pressure is now mounting on the Israeli government to intervene. To the credits, and to be fair to the government, the cultural minister has written to the museum asking them to pull this blasphemous statue, take it down. Could you imagine having a statue of Hitler holding up the Torah? Or Muhammad on the toilets holding the Quran? They wouldn't dare, would they? Wouldn't dare. And hundreds outside this museum in Haifa, a lot of uh, pushing and shoving, clashes... Some police were injured yesterday. I don't agree with that. Christians shouldn't be brawling. Shouldn't be protesting like that. We've covered events over the years, Patrick and I. We don't get into brawls, pushing and shoving. You're told to turn the other cheek. Now, of course, I don't know if all these people are saved. Probably not. You may have Catholics there. I don't know. You've probably got Greek and Russian Orthodox there. But you may have some Christians there who are legally protesting. Israel is a democracy. But that's blasphemy. To have Ronald McDonald on a cross... In this museum, mocking the Lord Jesus Christ's blasphemy. And I hope the Israeli government to do the right thing and take it down. Colossians chapter 3, look at verse 8 please. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Paul is speaking to saved people. You've got to watch what you say if you are saved. Going back to my so-called friend or associate, maybe I should say, somebody I used to once know. He's now dead, the Calvinist, hanging around with a Mormon couple. That was dishonouring to himself, dishonoured the Lord, dishonoured his testimony. But now ye also put off all these, anger, outbursts of anger. Do you have a temper problem? Quit it. Wrath. Do you get angry? Wrath, anger, very similar. Elsewhere, Paul would condemn, outbursts of anger. Do you have a tantrum? Do you flare up very easily? You've got to control it. Malice. Are you malicious with your tongue? Do you like to gossip? Do you like to cut people down with your tongue? blasphemy, OMG, JC, bloody hell, good heavens, dear Lord, quit it. You have to quit it if you are saved. Filthy communication out of your mouth, like the F word. Do you use the F word? Do you use a C word? Do you use the N word? These verses are in the book for a reason, because God's people, even though they are saved, and thank the Lord that we are all saved, can still fall. Go to Revelation chapter 17. I don't know if this guy in America is saved. I don't know anything about the man. But I know when I see a man who has fallen hard and has gone on camera to say that he's fallen hard, made a mess of his life, I commend him for that. Not easy. Others have fallen uh, from grace and haven't gone on camera. Have to shrug their shoulders and said, it's my business. I don't care what you think. And all these little Pharisees rubbing their hands with glee, saying, good, I'm glad he's fallen. I never liked him to begin with. That could be you one day. That could be you one day. Revelation 17, Revelation 17, look at verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sits upon a scarlet-coloured beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The whore of Rome, of course. And here John is shown this vision of a woman sitting upon a scarlet-coloured beast, the Antichrist, of course, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns, picturing authority. The horn, the big horn and the little horn from the book of Daniel, But again, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet coloured beast, full of names of blasphemy, like Holy Father, like the Bishop of Bishops, like the Apostle of Apostles, stealing the Lord Jesus Christ's identity and God the Father's, having seven heads and ten horns. So the Church of Rome is guilty of blasphemy. The body of Christ, many times, going back to Colossians chapter 3, is guilty of blasphemy. I'm sure I've been guilty of blasphemy over the years. I remember when I first, in fact, just before I got saved, maybe about six or seven months before I got saved, I was needing some legal advice. And I was on the phone speaking to a, a, a legal expert, not a lawyer, but a legal expert about a situation I was uh, up against. And I was on the phone for maybe 25 minutes. And I was under a lot of pressure at the time. And I was saying, you know, please help me with this and help me with that, and I need your advice on this, and I need your advice on that. And I kept saying, for G's sake, you know, for G's sake, for G's sake. And this woman said, can you stop saying that? And I said, what's the problem? I'm a Christian. Of course, I wasn't a Christian, I was a Catholic at the time. And she said to me, I'm a Christian, and I find it offensive. And that kind of threw me. Never once had I ever been challenged before to be careful what I was saying, how I came across, I was a Catholic. And... That was the first time I was challenged to watch my mouth and praise the Lord. Maybe six, seven, eight months later, no more than a year later, I got saved. And when I first got saved, I said to the Lord this, help me with my mouth. Help me with my mouth. I was accustomed to using blasphemy, saying blasphemous things and other things. And praise the Lord, he dealt with my mouth pretty quickly. But I know that if I get pushed hard enough, I know that if the pressure is put on me, I may not blaspheme, but I may use a four-letter word. I know what I'm capable of. Don't kid yourself. Paul told you from Romans 7, what he wanted to do, he couldn't do, and what he didn't want to do, he ended up doing. David, Solomon, Gideon, all of the best in the Old Testament, like all of the best in the Old Testament. Even Manasseh started out bad, ended good. Saul started out good, ended up bad. But I believe they were saved. Old nature, you see. So blasphemy is condemned in both Testaments. In essence, it is first of all worshipping God in a vain sense, in a half-hearted sense. It's not really walking with him. It's not really honouring him. It's simply going through the motions. Like a Sunday today. i got to go to church. All my peers are going to be watching me. Put on my Sunday best. Go to church. Sit in the pews. Try and outgive the Joneses and the Smiths when the offering goes around. And you go home. Put on some casual clothes. Start surfing the net. Watching television doing stuff that you shouldn't really do. And your kids see that, and they say to themselves, if that's religion, if that's Christianity, you can keep it. Your kids watch you, your fellow colleagues at work watch you, your neighbours watch you. They all watch you. They want you to fail. Because they know that if you succeed, it proves that Christianity is true. It proves that you can really live it. And of course, the world don't want you to live it. The Pharisees didn't want Jesus Christ to be successful. They put a lot of pressure on him. They put a lot of pressure on the apostles. And the same would be true in the Old Testament. A lot of people didn't want the prophets to be successful. They were terribly persecuted. Because again, the basic element of man, the basic interior of man is no good. Going back to Mark 7, 20 to 23, your heart is no good. Your thoughts, your actions come from within. Of course, when you get saved, yes, you are different. Of course you are different. And yes, you now know the Lord. And you're born again, you are transformed. Of course, you are. That's a benefit that we have over the unsaved people. But our blood's still the same. Our bodies are still the same. Our environments are still the same. And that's why it's so important, so important to watch what you say, watch what you do, and watch how you come across. Because, like I say, and I'll say it one final time and close, the world is watching you, the church is watching you, fellow Christians, and the angels are watching you. First Corinthians chapter 1. That's what the head covering is all about. The angels are watching you. And also Paul tells you about that from 1 Timothy chapter 5. A lot of eyes are on you. And for some people they can't handle it. And that young pastor who fell from grace. He couldn't handle the pressure. A lot of priests that we've known over the years are lonely. Burnt out. They have drink problems. They spend a lot of time on their own. A lot of people are leaning on them. I'm not justifying what people do when it's wrong or when they, when they sin. I'm not justifying it. I'm just trying to explain it. One of the reasons why a lot of these people fall, whether priests or pastors or vicars, not always, but many times, is because they're burnt out. People come into you all the time, leaning on you. My marriage is just broken down. My son is in prison. My daughter's a prostitute. Constantly offloading onto you. You buckle, don't you? A lot of these priests or alcoholics done some notorious things, criminal things, and have gone to prison, and rightly so, but when a pastor falls, when a vicar falls, when an ordinary man falls, an evangelist falls, many times it's simply, back, it's simply down to the fact he was overloaded. He was overwhelmed. And also I'll say this, strictly speaking, the one-man pastor, of course, as you know, isn't scriptural. If he had a nine-to-five job, he wouldn't have time, would he, to be whining about other people's problems. But these one-man pastors, they do have a lot of time on their hands. And too much time in your hands is not a good thing. Too much time, too much money... No accountability, like a lot of these priests that we've known over the years and read about in the papers. They are all themselves, and that's why they fall, sometimes spectacularly. But I'll say this again, if you are rubbing your hands with glee at this man's demise, he's got a wife, think about her, he's got children, think about them. No one's exonerating him for what he did, or what he said, but that could be you. If you are a brother, that could be you. Look at David, Solomon, all those guys in the Old Testament, they all fell, and as they fell, they blasphemed the name of the Lord, and that's the whole point of this three-part message, which we will conclude next week, the sin of blasphemy. The world see it, they love it, and every time a Christian falls, they blaspheme the Lord. So please be careful what you say and what you do.